Good morning, Alex. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober. I'm Lisa. And I'm Alex. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I should have said I'm Alex. <laughs> yeah, you should. We do this all the time. We have these weird conversations that we're going to pretend to be each other. Fact is, no one knows who's who. Reckon it's true. Do you? Well, I'm I, well, like, so, so do you know why I'm deck. laughing? Have we ever really had a conversation where we're going to pretend to be each other? Well, well, no, but I have in my head. <laughs> That's what I mean. We do this all the time. I'm like, do we? I'm this, sure. Last no, week. This is what you used to do when we used to go out drinking. You would tell a story and I'd be sat there the whole time going, I don't remember doing that. <laughs> Probably like. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny that is I love the fact that you were such a good friend you never said you didn't remember but now you don't oh. give a shit so you do now <laughs> <laughs> just outed you on the podcast outed <laughs> but um, genuinely people used to say they did used to say this that we were like sober ant and deck <laughs> you remember yeah but now I don't want to know that because I found out about ant and deck well deck in particular oh fuck we're ant is it deck no, yeah, it was it was deck. Somebody told me that it weren't nice in real life. Well, I knew a cu- I met a couple on holiday a few years back, and she did like some event organising and went to meet him. And apparently, halfway through a conversation with him, don't know how true this is. So, just for disclosure, it's word of a word of a word of a word. <laughs> but um, she um, apparently he turned his back to her, and he was like, "Could you could you ask her to leave to one of the assistants?" Shut up. Apparently. I don't know how true that is, but there we go. I think I can see it now, though. Since I got told that, like, I've seen a picture of him and I think, I think I can see that it could be rude. And that was separate, wasn't it, from what I've just told you? So yeah. A different source. Yeah, different source. That's mm. two people we know of. Does anybody yeah. else know? Let us know. Email us. <laughs> Email us. Let, let, tell us all your stories about Ant and Deck. <laughs> Be fair, Lisa. <laughs> no, Alex. Why? Why did we even come up with this? <laughs> to be fair, he's probably just pissed off with you. Oh. <laughs> so once when I was 14, it gives my, my heart's actually pounding right. But this leads <laughs> into what I want to tell you about really well. So my heart's pounding. I was drunk. I was 14. Ant and Deck came to a nightclub in our local town doing <laughs> Let's Get Ready to Rumble. And I leant over and I pinched Deck's bum. They were called at the time was, PJ and Duncan, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, PJ and Duncan. It was basically sexual assault from me. And I'm very sorry. So Duncan. you are the reason that Deck is an arsehole. <laughs> My fingers were too close to that arsehole. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, that is funny. Right. This so anyway, leads yeah. so, it cool. leads so well into what I want to tell you, right? Because that gives me anxiety, you talking about that, because it was something that I did when I was drunk, right? right. And I've always tried to articulate that, that my anxiety and regret didn't come from like me being an arsehole as such from when I was drunk like I never did bad things but I've never been able to articulate exactly what I did which caused me so much regret and anxiety as well as it being the alcohol and then something happened this weekend and I was like afterwards I said that I would have woke up the day after and 
played that over and over in my head forever and had the biggest regret. And I was so grateful that it all happened when I was sober because I dealt with it there and then. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Before you tell me this, I've just realised I'm really loudly mouth breathing in my mic. So I'm so sorry if I sound like a pervert in the background. <laughs> Got excited about my hands on Dex's ass. <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Go on. Right. Go on. So it was Ben's 21st birthday last week, my son, my middle child. And we, we all went for a meal on Saturday, right? We had, and it was one of the best meals we've had as a family in ages. We all absolutely loved it. We sat on a big round table, um, got Ben a caterpillar cake because he's always had one and he doesn't like change. So even at 21, we're still knocking out the caterpillar cakes. Anyway, it got really busy and this table ended up in front of us. There were one at the side of us with loads of people on and one in front of us. So the waiter couldn't really get through to our side. So he was coming through the other side. Anyway, I said to the waiter, I was like, oh, could you, um, can you bring the cake out for us? So he said, oh yeah, I'll bring it out now. So about five minutes later, the waiter comes with his caterpillar cake singing happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's going happy birthday to you. And he brings it over and I can see that he can't get past. So he comes to the other side and he hands it to this girl on the other table. Right? Oh no. So I was like, Oh, and I looked and I was like, said to some other people on her table, like, Oh, I think that's our cake. So they went, yeah, yeah. They clearly didn't hear me. Right. What I was saying. So oh. I picked the cake <laughs> up off this woman and I hands it to Ben. <laughs> well, what's the fucking chances that two people are being brought caterpillar cakes at the same time? Oh, Lisa, I no. literally took this cake <laughs> from this woman. A whole family and restaurant looked at me as if to go, oh, <laughs> she's taking it, she's taking it. I was stood up, you see, with Isabella, my granddaughter, oh, on my hip. But just whips this cake from this so woman. Did the person I, not even get to blow the candles no, out? No, listen, I looked and I thought, I'm sure I didn't buy a pink caterpillar. Like, <laughs> I'm sure ours was not pink. I'm sure it was green because I bought green candles to go with it. <laughs> oh. So I hands this cake to Ben. And it wasn't his cake. I'd literally stole it. <laughs> Did you have to give it back? I had to give it Oh, back. Oh, gosh. Oh, no, I can feel your pain. And I get what you mean. If you'd have been drinking, it would have been a hundred times worse. Oh, it would have been all, like, we dealt with it and they all thought it was really funny. Even the way it was like, what's the chances of two caterpillar cakes coming out? It was just like, sorry, that was a loud screech. I got overexcited. But um, yeah, what's the chances of oh, that? Lisa, that oh, honestly, I, all I, I could I see was Rob's face. <laughs> Looking, going, no, no, don't do it, Lisa. Oh no, she's done it. She's done it. Oh no, did he sort of realise then? Yeah, yeah, oh, everybody Lisa. did. Oh, never <laughs> look. I am sure that everybody will be telling the caterpillar cake story amongst themselves for oh, many years. <laughs> yeah, it'd be one of them things that you'd have been laughing at all night, you know, like and repeating and repeating. Yeah, but then and next repeating. birthday, they'll say it again. Oh, do you remember when that woman knit your cake? <laughs> oh, don't. Yeah, they will. <laughs> they will. They will. But it just made me think that like, I know I would have woke up the next day if I'd have been a drinker and hated myself for that. And that's the kind of stuff that I used to do that I had anxiety yes, and regret over. Yes, it's not over. like you've done anything bad. It's just stuff that would have embarrassed you at the time that you've then overplayed and forgotten where the embarrassment yeah. came from. Yeah. 
Whereas I dealt with it there and then I was like to the girl, I was like, I'm so sorry. And she was like, it's fine. It's fine. They, were, they all took it really, like it was funny. It probably made it better to be honest. Yeah, I reckon so. Just tell yourself that it's fine. Well, cake also ties in really nicely yeah. with today's topic, right? So we've got a guest on today called Mike Collins. He's been in recovery for over 38 years from all wow. drugs and alcohol. And he's now now been he now helps sugar addicts with their addictions and he's been doing that for over 15 years so he's got like a daily support platform and um, they have zoom meetings all about conquering sugar cravings and he says that he thinks that um and other people think that sugar is the original gateway drug mm, That's i've heard this before you know i have heard that it's worse than like cocaine I don't think it gives you the same effects as cocaine. Well, maybe it I does. I think it does. I think it yeah. does. Can I just, before we, before we bring him on, um, let's just think a little bit about last week when I did that big fast. Yeah. So I did a 75 and a half hour fast, which I was telling you about on the last podcast. When I eventually had food again, initially I felt really sluggish. And then as soon as the kind of effects of that, even though it wasn't like sugar, sugar, it was carbs that get converted. Yeah. Then I was like craving it again. I think it does give you that hit of, oh, where's my next one coming from? I'm already eating the biscuits again now. To be fair, when you like have a donut, you do, you do, do you do the same as drinking, don't you? Like I've had it where if, if I know something's in that cupboard, sweet, like I know there's some chocolate obnobs. I've just reminded myself there's some chocolate obnobs in that cupboard over there and I'll want to... And they're open. If they were open, I'd be all right. But I know they're open. So now I want one. Are you going to have one? Well, no, not now we're doing this. But if, if it were just me and you on a Zoom, I'd definitely be over in that cupboard. Munching. In my chocolate obnobs into my coffee, yeah. You see, now you've talked about chocolate obnobs. I want a chocolate obnob. Yeah, I yeah, haven't thought about well. chocolate obnobs for ages. They're not as good in coffee. They're good in tea. But you've got you, a proper You tea. always bring them to our Be Wild events. I've got a confession about chocolate obnobs. When I was a teenager, right, I used to <laughs> nick them from co-op. I used to nick them. I used to put them up my sleeve on my, own, on my own as well. And not even with friends. I didn't go, let's go and nick some chocolate obnobs. I did it because I wanted chocolate obnobs. And then I used to sit and eat them while I was on three-way calling with my friends at night. <laughs> I nicked them. Robbed one. Yeah, rob, robbed them from co-op. That's see, pro- it was the gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let, let's get him in. Right, he's coming in, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing because just we paused temporarily because we're now a week later for me and Lisa, by the way. Oh, we um, tried to dress the same. But I went, right, Lisa, we need to say hi, Mike. Like, <laughs> say hi, Mike. What's, what is wrong with me sometimes? So hopefully he's here. I'm managing to switch his camera on and unmute. And hopefully he will know that we're already recording if I've done everything right. Hello, Mike. Hello there. How are you? Hi, Mike. How are you? I love this sugar-free man behind you. <laughs> I know that guy. How are you? <laughs> We're good, good, good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for coming on. I am quite excited to find out um, a lot more about what you do because 
somewhere on your bio, there is a claim that sugar is the original gateway drug. And we were talking a little bit about our hobnob addictions. Well, more, more to the point, Lisa's hobnob addiction, um, <laughs> which are a biscuit in the UK. I was going to say, you might not know what a hobnob is. <laughs> so a hobnob is a kind of OT digestive style biscuit coated in chocolate. <laughs> Hangs the head in shame. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that would qualify. Uh, <laughs> that would Let's qualify. take you back first off. Tell us, tell us a little bit about where your journey to becoming the sugar-free man, as you as you're so aptly called, came from, and how you got to this point. Sure, I'd be happy to. I I have the. Are we recording now? Or you we're just straight want... in. We do, we don't mess around, us, Mike. We don't mess around. We're going <laughs> right, right in. Right in. <laughs> well, uh, let me see. So this is a sobriety podcast. So I I, I will include that part of the story, oh. if you will. Um, usually I leave it out or I skip it over, skip over it. But the uh, the story starts another generation back, my grandmother, my mother's mother died when she was only eight years old. And like they had to move in with the, with my uh, great aunt, who was not the nicest woman in the world. But, and uh, so, but they owned the country store across the way. And uh, what happened was anytime they, anytime my mother walked into that store, uh, she could have any candy she wanted for free which was a wonderful thing to do for a woman, uh, for a young girl who was who just lost her mom, but she grew up believing that sugar was love, right? And that, was, that presented a problem uh, because that's how I grew up. And we were just covered up with sugar. I mean, sugar was our life. My mother loved sugar. We had unfettered access to the sugar bowl. We could put as much sugar as we wanted on the cereal. No one said no sugar, a little, don't, nothing. We could just, it was just there. And then candy and soda. Well, we didn't, we couldn't afford soda. So we had Kool-Aid with three times the recipe, right? And uh, now the key part of the story is, I mean, like a lot of people and whatever a hobnob is, <laughs> <laughs> You grow, you grow up with these things and you get this understanding. And this is an important part of the, the story. And as we move forward and you'll see how it ties to drinking and substance use disorder and how it is the gateway drug. And that I didn't know sugar was changing my state at the time. I didn't realize that unconsciously you myself and anyone of the entire world now because of the proliferation of sugar Use sugar unconsciously to make yourself feel a little bit better. And because it's so available, even children can do it, right? So when I got to be 14 or 15, 13 probably, <laughs> I realized that I could drink beer behind the high school and talk to girls. I knew that that changed my state. I knew we used to call it liquid courage, right? Yeah, so yeah. I knew that changed my state and that I could... Um, drink beer, feel a little bit of self-esteem or whatever it was causing. 
and be able to, you know, again, talk with the girls. So that party lasted till I was 28. And it was one hell of a party. I... <laughs> I don't usually tell this part of the story, so I may stumble a little bit on this part of it because it's always been focused over the last decade on sugar. But I uh, I was not a good drinker. Uh, when I was 19, I, I was blacking. I blacked out the first time I ever drank, literally at 14, 15, 14 I don't know, 14 or 15. We're out camping trip. And uh, threw up, blacked out. I just didn't handle it well. So, and by the time I was 19, I had crashed a car and almost killed my friend, got arrested. Uh, now, I stopped <laughs> drinking and driving, but I didn't stop drinking. Um, and by the time I was 21 or two, I was wetting the bed regularly. Like, I couldn't not... I, I switched to vodka because I wasn't as much volume as beer, so I wouldn't wet the bed. Uh, but it also obviously caused maybe more problems. But at 23 or 24, I realized mostly because I couldn't stop, I couldn't drink without wetting the bed. And there was just all kinds of mostly blacking out was the worst problem. Mm. And I realized I couldn't drink. But by this time, I was in college, and uh, I never stopped using drugs at that time, mm -hmm. um, pot and cocaine. I didn't use that much cocaine early on, but um, I smoked pot every day, like five times, ten times a day. It was my, At the end of the day, I thought, I think it may have been my drug of choice in, the, in that world. And, and then I... Um, I was running nightclubs, huge, like literally the largest nightclubs in the southeastern United States by volume. And I got promoted because I didn't drink, theoretically, but I was using drugs and drug dealers were using my office to, you know, transact their business. So I got a little cut and the cocaine eventually brought me to my knees when I was 28 years old and I walked into 12-step rooms and got, got sober. And I went on to have a regular life. Um, uh, I, about three years later, I, uh, I, was, I got married to a woman in recovery, actually. And we had a couple kids. And by this time, I had read a book called Sugar Blues. And I was trying to get healthy after in sobriety. And so I ended up... Um, Quitting sugar, flour, caffeine. Uh, I was really into it. And I didn't realize then, uh, you know, I was pretty strict. We had a couple of kids and somehow, I don't even know how I did it. I talked my wife at the time into having kids, no flour, no sugar, no caffeine in the womb and until they were six years old. And honestly, the kids, if I were to tell you the story, you would think I was lying about the development of their brain, okay? Now, I'm a smart enough guy, but these guys are rocket scientists smart. Their achievements in school and now in life and in career would blow your mind. And it's just, it, 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 I really now in my heart know what happened is that their brain developed better. That first three years in the womb until they're three years old, 
with no flour, no sugar, no caffeine. It really did. I mean, they, I think they had flour. I take that back now that I, when I've been thinking about this story, they did have flour, but they never had sugar or caffeine. And when I, when I look back on it, I really understand it. So anyway, they grew up. I had a regular career. Um, I ended up getting divorced not too long after that. But they, they said, Dad, you should write a book about this because obviously their child was very different. From six on, they never had sugar in the house, either her house or my house. And, you know, only at outside birthday parties. Now, by the time they were teenagers, they're doing whatever they wanted. And but they just never developed the draw to it, which is another I guess now I'm realizing it is a really good part of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, because they never were attracted to substances to change their state. Okay. And they said, Dad, you should write a book. So in 2018, I did. And it did well on Amazon. And, and I started coaching about five or seven years ago, semi retired, and I started coaching um, sugar addicts, because I this had become a passion, obesity crisis had gone crazy. Um, and now and then COVID hit. And I was kind of, I think I bought sugar addiction in 2009, but I didn't do a lot with it until about 2016, 17, 18 in that area. But nobody, when I gave out information, nothing really happened. Like the best information on the planet, because I was researching, I was into it. Um, but when just before COVID, I began coaching and I began running groups, online groups, Facebook groups, uh, regular coaching groups and that kind of stuff. And then COVID hit and boom, like a nuclear explosion, like everybody's comfort eating at home and they yeah. all of a sudden, like they want to know what is going on with their sugar. And so it kind of exploded and it's grown into pretty big time, pretty big operation with the Quit Sugar Summit. I don't know if you've seen it for seven years, we've interviewed the largest and the biggest of the big all over the world uh 400 interviews and you know it's been going on now for uh seven years and and then the coaching we train coaches we certify coaches uh we have you know tens of thousands of people in different groups all different facebook and regular off off <laughs> facebook groups so we have quite a big operation with sugar and honestly People, when they call me for coaching, 20% of them are crying because they've never told these stories to anyone. Now, these are people that don't drink. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just in my heart, I know that after doing this, and I helped, you know, I was very active. I was never in the business, but I was very active helping people get off alcohol and drugs. I've been to crack houses at two in the morning. I've done pretty much everything in the realm of sponsorship and helping people. And I know that this is worse, a wor it's, it's, it's as bad a substance use disorder um, as, as any, any alcohol or drug that ever existed. And I believe it only because I've done it with thousands of people one-on-one -on -one and tens of thousands of people in groups and to a man, to a woman, the largest growing group in our, um, community are people who are already sober yeah. off alcohol and drugs, but they yeah. can't down the sugar. And I, I think diabetes. it gets worse, you see. Um, yeah. 
Because one of the things, I, I never had a sweet tooth, okay? So I would have said I was a savoury person. This is before my yeah. understanding about what savoury meant, because of course, sugar's not just raw sugar or, you know, refined sugar, is it? White foods, pastas, breads, everything. So looking back, I probably did enjoy sugar more than I realised because it was so hidden. It's hidden in the unrefined carb stuff. Right. I noticed certainly when I gave up drinking, and I think you were the same, weren't you, Lisa, that my desire for sweets and chocolate and cake and biscuits became more apparent after giving up drinking. Um, And it is one of the things that we, one of the topics we probably discuss most in our community of let's deal with the smoking, let's deal with the alcohol, and then everybody's left with the sugar addiction that they, they genuinely can't break. Everyone knows what they need to do but they don't feel they can get off, get off the sugar, you know, like, and you said it's, you said it's mind altering. Yes. Let's talk a bit about that. Well, the science now is very clear. Chris Palmer of Harvard, just recently, George Eaton of Harvard, both of whom have been on our summits. And it is in essence, metabolic syndrome of the brain. Okay. Um, this is the thing that causes obesity, causes type two diabetes. This is, uh, basically abuse of ultra processed carbohydrates. And, but more importantly, and this is, you know, where the science has really exploded is that in essence, when you drink alcohol or use drugs, you get a blast of dopamine. And when I use dopamine through this entire talk, I mean, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, oxytocin, the bonding chemical with mother and daughter and love and and everything, cannabinoid receptors, endorphins, adrenal glands, all of these brain and body reward chemicals are affected by alcohol and drugs, but they're as affected by sugar, okay? And that the um, dose makes the poison. I mean, we do a little heroin, we do a little cocaine, we do a little alcohol, but we are pounding 30 average teaspoons a day through our body. And that's if you have a your average, which the people that come to me are not average. They're 40, 50, 60 teaspoons a day, always on a complete sugar drip, okay? Which is affecting their nucleus accumbens, their brain reward chemicals they're literally grooving a new they have since birth since childhood grooved a new pathway in their brain that is down regulating their dopamine receptors the exact same thing we're doing is alcohol you all know a friend who's you know can't quit alcohol we all do right we know someone just can't like you say why don't they just quit well, you say the same thing with sugar. It's like, why don't they just quit? They're 300, 400 pounds overweight, losing limbs, going blind, and they still can't stop. The doctor says, this is the problem. But the psychoactive nature is the thing that is ignored. And on top of the psychoactive nature, remember when I said that sugar, I didn't realize sugar was changing my state, right? Yeah, yeah. The important part here is two things. One, this requires a literal um, brain rehab. Okay, we've got to now cement close that neural pathway, and we've got to clean. We've got to build a new one that has something different, a different way to self soothe. See, we've grown up under, or we've grown up 
unconsciously with a ubiquitous substance that anyone can score, even a child with no money, and they can soothe themselves just for a little bit. Well, it only lasts 20 minutes, and then you've got to re-ingest and self-soothe again, right? And what happens when you get sober, sugar sober, is the same thing that happens with alcohol and drugs. All of a sudden, all of the things that you um, tamp down with sugar or alcohol, it's a very common construct in the world of alcohol and drugs. Yeah. If you stopped using drugs and alcohol at 14 or 15, you stopped growing emotionally, right? And at 40, 50, 30, whenever you recover, you are... Um, your life's a mess, your relationship's a mess, your career's a mess, because you never solved any problems. You never work through stuff, right? You, in essence, you never grew up. You never matured because emotionally you're still 13 or 14 trying to deal with 30-year-old, 40-year-old problems. Yeah. And the, you have to extrapolate that backwards and think about, and you know this when you talk to someone who's lost 100 pounds or 200 pounds or put type 2 in di diabetes in remission because they don't talk about, I ate this, I exercised that, which is what everyone believes. What happens is they say the same thing as all of our friends in drug and alcohol recovery. I freaking grew up. I finally started to feel my emotions. I always used to hate in the early days of recovery, people say, I had a lousy day but at least today I can feel. I'm like, shut up. I don't want to hear that, right? That's <laughs> yeah. what's going on here. For somebody who started at three or four years old and never really felt emotional, their emotional life. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they got the, we kick out the crutch or we, together we pull out the crutch. And now here they are at 30, 40, 50, 60, most of our clients are women between 50 and 80. They they re waken up four decades later, never really having dealt with their emotions. And they say, Mike, I'm losing my mind. And they aren't losing their mind. What they're doing is literally, and I used to hate when they would say this to me, coming to their senses, right? Mm -hmm. They're realizing that they never got closure on when their boyfriend broke up with them at 25. They never dealt with the spouse that they were, they lived with for 20 years. They would just go and eat and gain 50 pounds, mm -hmm. pounds right? They, they didn't, you know, draw boundaries with their spouse. They literally just ate sugar. Okay. Yeah. They weren't drinking and yeah, he was out drinking and, you know, it's very common in the in the world of Al-Anon or whatever that the men were drinking and the women. It's a good girl's drug. The, the women were eating sugar. Now, I'm not being sexist here. Ninety five percent of my clients are women. Yeah. Now, maybe they reach out earlier or more, but that's the case in. And look, there's no damn difference. It's a substance use disorder. And now the science is proving it. I didn't mean to get on a rant, but... No, no, I think it's a good rant. It's like, because you're right, it's only just now that people right. are waking up and going, hang on a minute, this is causing some problems. But that that kind of nicely leads me into actually what I want to ask, actually, which is how on earth does anybody in this world cut sugar out? Because I was going to ask that. Like, yeah, what's the best way to even attempt to break... The, a sugar addiction 
Well, let's ask what's the best way to drink drink an alcohol addiction. Uh, what do you believe? I mean, if you were to leave the spirituality out of 12 steps, if you were to leave the uh, information, there's not much information. It's put the plug in the jug, right? Yeah. yeah. So what is, what's the, what's the secret sauce? Do you think? I think it's learning new coping strategies. That's for me. What, what, stop I wouldn't say that's what got me to stop drinking but it's certainly what stopped me going back to drinking when stress and other problems arose I would say what about you Liz yeah probably the same it's making me feel really strange this podcast <laughs> like it's, I, it, I don't know what it is I feel really strange it's like a part of me thinks feels so sad that we are all addicted to something like this. And what you're saying makes so much sense and it makes me feel really sad that it is so, such a big part of all our lives. Like, and that's where I I feel like it was easier to give up alcohol because of how I, I knew it changed my state of mind. I was aware of it, whereas I'm probably not as aware of it with sugar if it's something that I've done my my entire life. It makes me really sad. Do you know when I've gone for bouts without aware, sugar? You'll be aware of it when you stop. Well, I was just going to say, Mike, actually, I used to, um, for, quite, for a couple of years, I lived fully keto. Now, I would like to think that I'm fairly healthy, but I was fully keto for two years. I'm not now. And I have to say, I'll tell you what I noticed is I was on the ball. I was sharp. I felt less tired. I never had a dip in the afternoon of energy. I didn't crave sugar when I didn't have it after a while. So... I, I can, that's almost worse in a way because I know I feel better without sugar and still I've gone back to eating some sugar. So let me finish the, 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 the I believe the answer to your question, your original question is community. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, you're probably right. Together. Why didn't we answer that correctly? I'm so mad at myself. <laughs> and so here's, and I think you guys run something called a community. Yeah, <laughs> like, we do. <laughs> And I also want to make you feel better. Um, I I don't have, let me see, look at the names here, Lisa, because I've been on probably a hundred podcasts and 50 of them have been recovery podcasts. You know, the other have been keto or carnivore or some type of food or health one, but of the recovery podcast, at least half of the, um, the host has said to me, Mike, the reason I had you on is because I've been sober five years, 10 years, 12, whatever, how many years, but I can't quit sugar. My, mm-hmm. I'm having a problem here. My, I'm, I'm gaining weight. Uh, my doc says I got to go on some medicine or something. And they're like, I, I want to quit sugar, but I can't. And this is why this we wanted you on, because our community can't. So many of our members come to us. They're breezing their sober life and now they're going i can't stop eating crap excuse the phrase yeah no no it's very very common in in the recovery world it's a i mean you've seen it you know you talk about the freshman 15 in college like gaining gaining weight or whatever it's like the freshman 50 when someone comes in recovery they just gain like in a year they gain 40 50 pounds quick yeah you know, because they and you've seen the back of the rooms to support me is whatever kind you go to doesn't matter. It's just a smorgasbord of coffee, sugar and nicotine. 
you know, it's a it's a step down. Great. But it's not you're stopping crashing cars and getting arrested, but you're not health wise. And the most important part of this is that you're still not growing emotionally. You're changing the state of your mind and your emotions. And the hard part is the when you begin the process of recovery from sugar, even though you've been in recovery from alcohol, you've been in therapy, like it doesn't matter because people come to me 20 years, uh, talk therapy, like having these experiences with their, <laughs> with their therapist, very emotional, right? And then they undo it on the way home at the 7-Eleven. So it, none of that stuff works. I swear to you, I know this sounds, uh, uh, I don't know what it sounds like, but they do not mature or move forward until they get sugar abstinence. Do you now, honestly have, believe that after everything, if you don't act on the sugar, you're still in a problem state? Hundred percent. I've had it so many times. I have MDs, PhDs, lawyers, doctors, multimillionaires, an Olympic athlete, people who have stopped using drugs and alcohol um, for decades and cannot stop sugar. And when they stop, they have now look. They have some organic healing. They have some movement forward. They have some intellectual capacity. Now they can keep a job. There's a lot of stuff. But they emotionally have not dealt with this. And when you stop, you will experience very similar to early recovery, this inability to to get your footing emotionally. You know what I mean? They'll be weeping a lot of times. They'll be, you know, anxiety and fear and worry that you've got to work through in other ways. And look, if I hadn't seen, if I hadn't lived it myself, I call it my dark night of the soul, um, where I was five years sober. I got a divorce, um, and I hadn't quit flower at the time. Okay, and and or television, and I quit flower and television through the television against the fireplace, and went cold turkey on flower, and was descended into this dark night of the soul, which was. I had, I had set up this therapy group. I had a therapist. I had insane amounts of 12 step support. I was, you know, very active and I just fell into this, you know, funk and I had to work myself out of it, but it was triggered. I thought originally from the divorce, but it was really triggered. I believe from the stopping of the flower and 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 the sugar and and the caffeine and everything and now if i hadn't lived that and hadn't now guided hundreds of people by myself coaching and tens of thousands of people and now thousands of people with my coaches uh through this process i never would have believed it myself i, I just wouldn't have you know i, I do believe it i do believe it I do. It's it's weird. I don't know how to explain how strange this conversation's making me feel. <laughs> because it's kind of it's putting me in a bit of a fear state that I never knew that I had. So I very much like you, Alex, never class myself as a I I thought I didn't have a lot of sugar, but I do, and I clearly do. Um 
And I really want to be where you are and not have it. But the thought of it, like already when you're talking, I'm working out ways how I can moderate sugar. (laughs) This is what I was going to say, Lisa. So for me, it's different. For me, I know, I 100% know I've got to stop sugar. I can also tell you when I crave the most, it's when I'm sat on the sofa watching TV and Netflix. And I know why that is, because that bores me. And I don't like being bored, so I feel uncomfortable. So I want sweets or chocolate or something to take that boredom away. So I I think the awareness for me is there. It's the um, fear. It's fear. Uh, I believe, I've become come to believe, a lot of my folks and myself personally, it took me years to get off television. I'm still, I, I believe that when there's an activity like television, it it seems to uh, create the same brain something or other. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it really does. It does help. Uh, uh, even when you're sugar free, you can recreate the dopamine with watching television. So you, you got to be careful there. I think so. yeah. we're quite good with TV though. I have to say, cause we don't, we don't watch news or anything like that. Either, <laughs> we got rid of our live TV a while ago. So we kind of watch the odd show as we choose to, don't we? Yeah, you know what my fear is, I think, about giving up, up sugar, and it makes so much sense that it's like alcohol, is it's fears of, like, not fitting in and bonding with people over cake and a coffee or with my partner. With We like to eat nice food together. I don't drink. So a part of my brain's going, well, what will you do? Will it, like, I can't even believe what I'm thinking right now. you're aware, because you're so aware of those same thoughts with alcohol. Yeah. You it's can recognise it. You go through it with the alcohol. You're like, how do I go to a wedding? How do I yeah. do this? You know, it's the same. And it's worse with sugar because it's so ubiquitous. I mean, it's like you can give this to a baby and nobody, no legal, moral, and no one. You you wonder why the founders of AA had to be so anonymous because, you know, there was a lot of stigma attached to it. And the same thing here is people don't realize uh, that this is happening. And look, I mean, the obesity numbers speak for themselves. And weight is not the only uh, arbiter. It's not the only gauge. Yeah. Um, but it's a pretty good one. You know what I mean? Because most people who come to me are looking for weight loss. Um, they don't want to have the discussion that we're having, obviously. And they're yeah. just you know, they're not a lot of them not willing. One of the new discoveries that we've had, which has been really difficult, really hard, is that people who were obese as children are damn near impossible to work with. Um, I've had friends uh, that I've interviewed that are in the business. Um, they just stopped working with them because they would always end up asking for a refund because their denial is so hard so difficult so so much that they they cannot get back to a place where they don't have any muscle memory well they've never been there have they they've never been there never been there um it's not like they're getting sober it's like they're changing their whole life now it does happen but it's pretty rare now and so you know that just to me lends credence to everything I've said up to now is that this is a powerful psychoactive that you know I do this philosophical thing I'm trying really hard as I continue to watch now 
you know, a team of 25 coaches and, and, and people, um, you know, in the groups and everything and, and try and delve deeper is, you know, cravings and denial. Okay. And denial and, and maybe part of what you're experiencing, Lisa, you know, is that we all know what it is theoretically. And we, you know, we've lived through it in trying to get off alcohol and drugs, but when it comes to sugar, because not most of society is paying attention to like the summits that we have where there have been experts for decades now in their own silos studying these things, right? Sugar, fructose. We haven't even got into fructose. Um, oh. <laughs> fructose does to the brain, right? We haven't even talked about it, but there's people studying this stuff. I love this quote. The future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Okay. And <laughs> people don't realize that this is happening, that this, the maturity of the science, the groups of people that I speak with have groups of their own, you know, the, the educators and the, um, you know, the book writers and in, in the sugar reduction world or sugar addiction world. And so no one really knows about it. I, I mean, they, they don't kind of think the way that we're talking honestly today. You know, they don't think yeah. this. We'll get back to our chat shortly. But first, let us tell you about Be Sober. At Be Sober, you'll find a supportive community of like-minded people who understand and support you. Energize your mind and body with our fitness sessions. Discover the power of mindfulness with Be Sober Yoga. Engage in vibrant discussions, workshops and support groups with thriving Zooms. Be Sober really is the ultimate community, whether you're sober for a short time, contemplating it, or have long-term goals of making meaningful connections. It's a place where you can find your tribe and create lasting friendships. Take the first step towards an empowered and connected sober lifestyle. Join us today at BeSoberOfficial.com. And just to clarify, by fructose, we're, this is for people listening, we're now talking about what we consider as good sugars in our fruits, yeah? Okay, so this is where it gets very distressing for you, Lisa, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> you can't even have a grape, Lisa. <laughs> so the anxiety right now. <laughs> molecule is the same. The molecule in, sugar, in, in fruit is the same as the molecule in table sugar. And for your audience, the table sugar molecule is half glucose and half fructose, okay? And the study of fructose is really not that old, okay? It's, you know, 10 to 15 years harsh, like a lot of work on it, but really only in the last three to five years has the information exploded. And what we've discovered is that, and what, not me, I mean, the, the scientists have discovered is that fructose um, acts more on the nucleus accumbens and the dopamine and everything. And in my belief, and this is backed up by a couple really, one scientist who's been uh, funded by the United States government, who believes he can stop alcoholism by blocking the fructose pathway. Okay. So you have to think back now, as the species evolved, right? We got fructose once or twice a year. No exaggeration. When yeah, those seasonally or those crab apples were ripe, we would get a little fructose. And if you wanted to get risk stung by a bee, you could get a little more, right? 
And so, but once or twice a year, we got fructose and it's completely vestigial. That word means it has absolutely no function in the human body. There's no process in the body that requires it. And so 10 million years of evolution has led us to something that was created to chase food and sex once a year or, um, or, or as a reward system, um, the dopamine system, okay? And fructose hijacks that for a short period of a year um, or did. And now here we are where we have fructose drip 24-7, okay? And it truly is um, the golden key to the golden lock to the obesity crisis and the epidemic because people aren't understanding. Most people, when they come to them, want a diet plan and an exercise. They want a food plan and an exercise plan because they're mostly coming for weight loss at the beginning, right? But when they finally start to realize that it's, it's a substance use disorder. It's an addiction. They're, they're just like Lisa's reaction. They're like, like they can't believe it. They don't want to be it. They're, they're just not, that's not what they're, they didn't want. That's oh, not Lisa what will be sugar free next week, mate. You've got no idea. I'm telling you, this is going, this is going to go bad for me. <laughs> they, they didn't sign up for this. They're just not wanting to do this. Right. And now again, this the study of fructose has led to the the for me as a recovering alcoholic and drug addict and someone who is really into all this for many years and understanding it, you know, I'll be tomorrow is my 39th year of sobriety. I've been sober for 40 wow. years. Tomorrow. And I, you know, this is my life. I really want to get this message out. But I don't believe we can get this message out until people start to understand that in the 1980s, a lot of the food system changed um, and high fructose corn syrup became prevalent in everything, the sodas and the foods and everything. And that's when the obesity numbers started to go. Yeah, right? I think we followed in the UK slightly behind you because we don't have corn syrup, I don't believe. Yeah, you're you're you have uh, um, eliminated or made illegal some of the uses of it in yeah. in I think drinks and a few other things. We still have a lot of other rubbish in our stuff, though. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's got it now. It's all we've exported it all over the world, <laughs> and you know, South America, the Philippines, everywhere now is having the same issues as the United States. And well, Great it's Britain. interesting because our figures for obesity and uh, diabetes, and you know, you'll know this obviously that now even dementia is being classed as type three di diabetes because of sugar. Yeah. So all yeah. of those things. We literally are just behind you on the curve now. So we are following exactly the same pattern, just a little bit behind you. And that's where we're heading in the UK as well, um, yep. which is quite scary. It's quite frightening. It's yeah, scary. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, th I think what gets me the most about what you're saying, like, like I say, I've done sugar free. I know how that feels. I know it's good. And yet I'm pulled back. So clearly what's bothered me and do I think upset? perhaps upset is the word, is that clearly there was something I've not dealt with that's made me go back to it, which bothers me a bit because I really I, thought I had my stuff together. <laughs> one of the hard, and, and people in recovery seem to be better at this because they know it's part of the process. Yeah. The mm -hmm. inability to have not gotten closure on something 
uh, is something we dig into. And the 12, the 12 steps modify or dig into it a little bit, but they don't really, for a lot of people, solve the issue because they're continuing to use sugar and whatever and other nicotine and caffeine and whatever. Um, but also the everyday stressors, right? We haven't figured out one of my people I love uh, uh, created a, a construct called living in process. We haven't figured out a, a good way to self-soothe that doesn't yeah. cons- that doesn't include sugar. And the, the idea is very unconscious. We, my job, literally, my job, my only job is to raise to the conscious level this idea that we handle the kids and the career and the spouses. We handle all this with a little bit of sugar when we don't want to actually draw a boundary, say no, um, uh, you know, change directions. We just go use a little bit of sugar because that's how we've conditioned ourselves. It's right? even the saying, isn't that to sugarcoat something? Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Can so, I ask you something that when you when you were saying about um evolutionarily we were driven by sex and food, yeah? So that we were driven by. Right. So is it bad that I'm already thinking I'm just going to have loads of sex if I'm going to... This is what I've just though, Lisa. It's a bit similar. Is that... Could then, theoretically, the fact that fructose and sugar is so available, could that be impacting people's desire for things like sex and survival oh in a healthy way? God in heaven. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the both physically and emotionally... Yeah, so you know, surely yeah. if you t- if you knock out the sugar by rights, your libido should improve. It does. I mean, we have those uh, testimonials all the time. So this is what all these menopausal women need to know. They don't need more the testosterone. They just need to stop eating sugar. Well, well, that is actually true. That is true. So, so part of what I do, Mike, is I'm also a personal trainer and I'm menopause fitness trained, right? So... And this is why I'm really, really interested in this as well. And part of um, declining estrogen, which affects every organ in the body, is your inability to process sugar because you develop insulin resistance. So women actually get the double whammy by sugar addictions as well, which is why I suspect you see a lot of 50-year-old women coming in. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And, and another part of it too is that, um, again, I call it the good girl's drug, and I'm not being sexist. It's just that that's reality is that um, they have had body image issues their whole life and that they have finally, finally narrowed down that every diet they've ever been on said reduce the white stuff. And they've done some of that over the years. Well, most people have lost the same 50 pounds five or 10 times. You know what I mean? They've gone yeah, yeah. up, yeah. And, down, up and, down. and the reason they go up and down is because exactly what we've been talking about. So life's okay when they start the diet on the first of the year and they lose their 40 or 50 pounds and then something happens. Like either the emotional stuff from the past begins to bubble up and it's, you know, you're starting to remember stuff that you don't want to remember that you never got closure on or there's a financial issue, a relationship issue, a kid issue. In the present. Something that they... We call it the difference between effort-based dopamine and substance-based dopamine, okay? Where, like, you learn to self-soothe by literally eating biscuits on the couch as opposed to going out and taking a walk 
going out and, you know, doing some exercise or going to yoga, getting a massage or getting a hug or calling a friend. And now you don't use the other methods that require some type of effort. Okay. You just use this sugar and, and it works. That's the hard part. It works. Like it's just like alcohol. I say that alcohol is great at numbing out your emotions. It's fantastic. It works. That's why so many people want it. Right. And this is why the, this is why the rise in obesity, the rise in type two diabetes, because people continue to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, just think of what happened during COVID. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody's like up life upside down. And, you know, you go to the grocery store and there's no sugar and no flour at all on the shelves. Everybody's buying it up and, and using it and baking and using comfort foods. Um, and that's just one example. I mean, there's thousands of them, but that's just one very blatant example of people using sugar to calm their nerves just a little bit and it only lasts for 20 minutes and then you got to re-ingest and re-ingest right and you just re-ingest all day basically you're always chasing that first high in the morning that first cup of coffee with a bit of sugar in it and the world is okay for 20 or 30 minutes and then you chase that high all day all day what happened right so let's let's just bring this in a little bit now so the average person. I'm very fond of your water, by the way. You're, you're, <laughs> I did not get this in the United States. Oh, I have you to probably sneak sugar in it. It's, probably, <laughs> it's not, it's not. So we, we um, the average person, okay? So let's talk about our community because the most people who are going to be listening to this are people who have given up or are giving up alcohol. Some of them yeah. might not even be anywhere near wanting to face up to the fact that they've also got a sugar addiction to break. <laughs> but let's say they are. Let's say like they're like me and Lisa because do you know what? I, I desperately do want to get rid of all sugar. I really do. I'm aware of the dangers. I'm aware of what it does to my body. I am in that category of women who now will put on weight very quickly because of my insulin resistance building as my estrogen declines, blah, 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 blah. All of those reasons. Yet the biscuit's there. It's easy to grab it. I want to eat it. I might eat it and then go start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. Okay. So you're right. And that, that is what I do, by the way, Mike, I'm not making that up. I'll, I'll start on Monday. I'll eat what I want this weekend and I'll start on Monday. So that's the average person. Okay. I believe. Yep. They're not ready to go into a community. They're not ready to go for coaching. They're not ready to face it. What's the best way of sort of getting started? That's a good question. So the main question, like the alcohol question is, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? This is where Lisa's freaking out. This is I where- I see it on her face. She's like, yeah. <laughs> The, 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 the thought go, you know, the, the, the denial comes in. It's like they, they seem, or we seem to see everyone else using this stuff, not with impunity, but they seem to be able to do it and have no problem. Some don't have a weight problem, don't have a diabetes problem, don't have any problems. Right. And the reality is, is that I, I don't know the alcohol numbers, but I do know the sugar numbers down cold. I used to be the chairman of the Food Addiction Institute. People, like I said, who've been studying 
this stuff for 20 years and working with clients for 20 years um, alone. No one they, now that we're all not a lot of us are together and stuff. Actually, the meetings actually in uh, Great Britain in May, the World Food Addiction Institute stuff. And so um, what I'm saying here is that what am I saying here that that people um, are coming to this idea and the numbers are as follows. Um, about a third of people are biochemically unable to ingest sugar and flour without creating massive cravings for more. We're stone cold addicts. I'm one. Don't know if you guys are. You have to make that decision. About a third of people, and these track with the obesity numbers, okay? A third over obese, a third overweight, a third, third normal, right? Now, you can be a very thin sugar addict. I got a coach that's an ultra marathoner. I have, you know, worked with an Olympic athlete. No, she never had any weight issues, but she still couldn't put the sugar down. Um, a third of people are harmful users, okay? Meaning, if they do a reset, if they get some abstinence and reset, they can occasionally use sugar on Christmas or their birthday or whatever and not, not have a problem. They're realizing what it's doing, They've done it unconsciously, they've gained weight, they've got health issues, but they can reset. And then there's a third of people who are normal and we all hate them, <laughs> no but they, you know, they can take a half a biscuit and leave it for a month. They never think about it. Those, oh, I don't understand those people, Mike. I can't do that. People either. But those are the numbers and it's pretty consistent. You know what I mean? It, I don't know if it's like alcohol because I don't exactly know the alcohol. I don't know the numbers. I don't think the stone cold addicts are as high as a third uh, of people who ingest alcohol have a problem with it. But I do know for a fact that those are the numbers. And, and everyone seems to agree now as we mature uh, that their clients are similar. So, so the question is, when people want to get started, they have to kind of decide like where they fall and what they need to do to, to stop. Like um, harmful users, like they could fall into addiction. Like they can. That's where I think I am. Cause I can, if I really use my willpower, I yeah. can go, right. I'm not having any, cut it all out right. and then go for quite a significant amount of time without any feeling pretty good. And then I yeah. might have it on my birthday or I might have it at Christmas, but I do eventually slip back in. Yeah. yeah I'm that. the same as like when I drink. I know I probably have sugar like when I drank and that was binging. So I'm a, I'm a binge. I could go all week thinking I don't want anything. If I don't have it, it doesn't bother me. And then I will do it and I will eat. And I've done this for quite a few years, actually. I remember sitting in the car park of our local supermarket you know what? I did it yesterday. I did it yesterday. And I, I forgot that I did it yesterday. So I'd been in and then I got some shortbread caramel chocolate things and I sat in my car and by the time I'd got home, every single one was gone. And I actually threw the packet in there. I can't even believe this. Did you hide the packet? I hid the packet. I threw it before I came into the house because I thought Rob will know that I've just ate them. And I can't believe that this has just been a realisation to me. Oh, it's making me so agitated. I feel agitated. <laughs> it's really shocked me, this discussion. 
let me give you a couple of positives. Okay. So your your awareness that this is happening is I think a good thing. Okay. Um, Also, I, when I, when someone calls me for coaching or when I take a call for, you know, an intake for coaching, like I said, 20% of them are crying. They believe that I have never heard that story or the story of they threw the cake in the bin and they um, poured dishwashing liquid over it. And then an hour later, they couldn't get it out of their mind. They cut the dishwashing liquid off and oh, ate it. Right. They, they, they're in horror when they tell me this story and they think I've never heard it before. They think I've never heard, you know, a hundred times where people have something similar, getting it out of the dump, literally getting it out of the dumpster kind of thing. Um, and so it's the same as the alcohol. It's the shame. Yes. The, it's the hiding. It's the, you're only as sick as your secrets. It's the, you know, not, not being afraid to tell other people and, 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 you know, and when I talk about community and you guys are familiar with it, you know, the uh, mirror neurons. And now there's a lot of real seriously peer reviewed study that you become not only the average of the five people you hang around with, but the five, the weight of the five people you hang around with. Oh, the my level. goodness. I'm going to have to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you truly. um yeah. We're tribe animals. We like to do stuff together. And that makes sense because a thousand years, if you got kicked out of the tribe, you could die, uh, you know, a thousand years back. And so, you know, it's inbred deep in our subconscious that we need to be like the rest of people. And at this juncture, eating sugar seems to be what everyone does. And so you can't. You know, you can't beat yourself up about it. It's no one's fault. That's the important part. You know, it is our responsibility uh, to change once we know. You can't unring this. This is what I'm mad at now because now I know. This is where I feel like I've got a new journey coming. And I think this is why I'm getting a bit anxious and agitated because I don't know whether I'm ready for it. That's what I feel like. It's like I know I've got to do it, but am I ready for it? Well, uh, Alex was talking about something that I think is important, and I think this may hopefully motivate you a little bit and maybe some of your listeners. So when people come to me, they come for weight loss. You know, I don't know if you ever heard the phrase. I really like it is uh, they came for the vanity and they stayed for the sanity. Okay, (laughs) I like that. No, but I like that. Yeah. So. What happens is, um, I'm talking people lost 100, 200 pounds, put type 2 in remission, um, all kind of like their skin cleared, uh, all kind of positive things. But when I do surveys of these folks, what they rave about, like they go crazy about, is that their brain came back online. And Alex mentioned that they're now calling uh, Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. Uh-huh. The science is very clear now with the books that I've mentioned before that it's affecting the brain. But the people rave about their focus, their memory, their headaches, their their motivation. All of these brain functions, if you will, are so much better. Like they feel so much better. This is uh, what I think brain fog is, Mike. You know how ladies in menopause talk about brain fog? This is massively controversial. I'm probably going to get a huge backlash off the ladies listening. But I honestly think that brain fog in menopause is coming from the sugar, 
not Wonderful. from the hormones. I really yeah, do. I, I agree. There's no doubt in my mind that it is. There's no doubt. Foggy brain is the number one survey question. And second is inflammation, not even weight. Okay. So the in yeah. people also have inflammation. Joints like rheumatoid arthritis is literally a paper tiger. There everyone and, and I I try I I, I gotta stop like I, I'm trying to think maybe it's not everyone, but I've never had it happen where people really gave me 90 days of abstinence and their joints didn't hurt. They stopped hurting their knees. And people always say, well, because I'm 40 pounds overweight, my knees hurt. That's crap. Like you can be 100 pounds overweight and no sugar and your knee pain will go away as you lose that 100 pounds while you're 100 pounds overweight. It not, it's not the weight. It's the decimation of the joints by the uric acid, which is a byproduct of the producing of sugar. And that's what's killing your cartilage in your... And another thing I'm getting really strong about is my mother used to call her hands monster hands, okay? Because the joints in her fingers were just totally decimated. They would go crooked, left, right. Swelling, they'd yeah. They'd be gnarled like this, right? And now when I first start coaching, I make people do what I just did, hold their hand up, right? And what happens is there are joints that are, you know, beginning to be decimated, okay? Just see any elderly person who's got a little extra weight and just observe their hands. Also, when you're in a grocery store, observe their cart, okay? You start to see this, just look in their cart and see what's in it. You'll start to understand, you'll be able to see the weight progress by the what's in their cart. Then look at their hands because their hands are beginning to be decimated, the joints, the knuckles, they turn left, they turn right, they go up, they go down. They, they, it's, it's, it's very physically obvious. And this, you know, some of the other things, the skin, if I could get this through the women in your group, the women in your groups, is that the skin clears so amazingly, the rosacea that they had from possibly drinking, the acne, the adult acne, the wrinkles, tighten the you know it the the differences oh, physically are unbelievable right and and i've seen it like now thanks to zoom i can see people transform before my very eyes you know over yeah. years you know you guys are like really kind to let me get it all out it takes about the arc of a podcast for me to explain, you know, decades worth of work. Um, and most people don't want to listen. I, I, I hesitate. I think I could grow my group to hundreds of thousands, possibly millions with a focus on people in recovery because they get the addiction piece of the puzzle. I think you're right. I think people, people will suddenly become aware of their other I'm going to say downfalls, but you know, there are other, there are other things, whatever they may be, because they can see the patterns. They can see the patterns. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, but I don't, I, 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 I hesitate to do it simply because one of the hard parts of what I do is to get the average person who has no either family history or um, uh, experience with addiction or recovery um, up to speed on this. 
they're a little brainwashed by the diet industry. Okay. They're a little brainwashed that they just need, what do I eat and what do I exercise? Yeah, calories in, calories out, and it's rubbish. Yeah, it really is. And it's really now a a brain issue, a a dopamine issue, a serotonin issue um, for the sugar. That's why they can't stop. Okay. They know what they do need to do physically. And we've been teaching people for 40 years that you'll get gain weight, your teeth will fall out and you'll get diabetes. That's the glucose half of the molecule. I think I always tell people the future of recovery in this is fructose. If you want to get off sugar, study fructose. This is where the gains are being made um, in the understanding of the psychoactive nature of sugar. Is it and, fair to say that I, glucose is the physical changer and fructose is the psychological changer then? Well, <laughs> good, good delineation or good question because Yes and no, it is. But remember, fructose can only be processed in the liver. And we have an epidemic of five-year-olds with fatty liver, a a literal epidemic. Like this is an alcoholic's drug or alcoholic's disease, okay? Fatty liver. If you drink too much, you get fatty liver. Well, now almost everyone has fatty liver. Non-alcoholic, yeah. I think 50% of the population is pre-diabetic. They don't realize they're headed towards diabetes. And so, and the reason is, is the fructose can only be processed in the liver. It can't be, it's not burned or processed in any other way. It has to go through the liver and it causes problems in the liver. Okay, so... It's yes and no. So but not only psychological, yeah. <laughs> it's so, you know, it makes me feel really sad about, like, my grandma as well. So my grandma was a, a wonderful lady, very attractive, very slim. She ate processed food all of the time, and she ended up having Parkinson's and dementia, and if I look at what young she Young as well, on, Lisa, wasn't she? Young. Well, she was, she was just over 80 when she passed away, um, just before COVID, actually. But me and my mum were talking about it because my mum is really... She's going to love this podcast, my mum, and she's going to love you because she's all about this right now. She's trying to cut out the sugar and, go, and do keto. And one of the biggest drivers for this is because of my grandma, her mum, and the dementia and osteoporosis aspect of it. And I think this is why, whilst I've been listening, I am a little bit feared because obviously if that's kind of, I'm looking at it as hereditary, but perhaps it's it's not. It's It's, she ate crap all the time. Hereditary in terms of what we're taught, though. It's it's not necessarily hereditary like genetic. I think people mix up hereditary genes and hereditary. It is hereditary because it's what you're taught. It's what passed on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah what you're taught look my mom died of alzheimer's in the same scenario i told you about her she was my favorite sugar junkie but she was addicted deeply to sugar and i my heart she died of sugar addiction and the osteoporosis is another one like the rheumatoid arthritis it's sugar addiction it you know the molecules of calcium to get the sugar out and you lose that in your bones you know do you think mike and you might not know a lot about this. I'm pretty sure you probably will. But do you think if ladies who were starting to enter menopause and going through menopause could remove sugar, that they would be going through it a lot easier? 
Oh, absolutely. The hot flash stuff is bullshit. You know, it truly is. You know, hot sweating at night is sugar addiction withdrawals. And something happens when women go into menopause and their ability to process the sugar. And then they have the night sweats all the damn time. You know what I mean? And you think it's sugar. Like one of the addiction or one of the um, withdrawal symptoms is night sweats. One of the things that happens to people who even didn't sweat and people think of it as dysregulation or the thermostat was too high or something there. They were, you know, was, they had too many blankets on it's sugar addiction withdrawals. Like when people get an accidental ingestion after years of no sugar, they sweat that night. I happens to me all the time, you know, some it's in the last 30 years, it's happened like, I don't know, 10, 15 times somebody will say a salad dressing doesn't have sugar in it. I'll get the salad dressing that night. I will soak my pillow. I'll tell you an interesting story. This is funny, actually. So when I was young, my mother used to say I was a perfect angel. I'm like, oh, mama, you know, every, every freaking mother says that kind of stuff. <laughs> she said, no, no, no. When you would fall asleep, you would form this halo on your pillow and your hair would be all wet. So you would, you, you know, you, it looked like you were an angel and it like you, but your hair was wet. Well, I'm raising two twin boys and I have never experienced this. I'm like, wow, that I never, you know, my, my kids don't have that on their pillow. <laughs> They're not angelic. <laughs> my niece have to start that. Well, the first time I'll remember it like it was yesterday, like we were in a roller skating rink and the cake and ice cream comes out for the birthday party. Right. And uh, both of them go like, you know, they didn't have to say anything. I couldn't hear them anyway because of the music. And they're like, Dad, can we please? And we just gave in. We couldn't do it anymore. We were fighting the grandparents. We were fighting this Montessori school. We were fighting their kids parents everybody says we're depriving them of a childhood right like they didn't have sugar we gave in and we let them have the cake and ice cream and that's when we started letting them have cake and ice cream um at outside birthdays and never at home so i go into their room that night and guess what i see what? two wet heads two perfect halos on their pillow my children at six for the first time we're in sugar addiction withdrawals there was sugar wow. withdrawals. quite scary that because i let my seven i've got a seven-year-old he's almost eight and he has too much sugar yeah 100 does and he sweats at night yeah, yeah so i think that the I night's need to do something about that misunderstood in menopause in general and something happens so the answer to your question is it's absolutely easier without sugar. Well, for me, and this is why I'm so interested in it, and it's not only for menopause, but because of my menopause fitness training, right. I am convinced, I am absolutely convinced that removing sugar and carbohydrate, white foods from the diet is key to having a smoother menopause. I'm absolutely convinced. Um, belly fat, sore joints, sleep, sweating, um, mood swings, anxiety, all of those things. I know it's really controversial, but my biggest thing about this is it makes sense to me scientifically that if estrogen affects every single organ in the body and when it declines, the receptors are left open and therefore you develop insulin resistance so you can't mop up the sugar, it makes absolute sense that it must be the accumulation of the sugar that is causing these things and not the decline in estrogen, because I tell you something, when you're going into puberty, before puberty, 
you're not going through that with no oestrogen. I, I believe that was way too many big words for me. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, before puberty, you don't no, suffer I like get you do it, after. Is what I'm saying, and that's and that's the same. Basically, our oestrogen levels go back to how they were in childhood, so it can't be the oestrogen. Can't be. No, I believe exactly what you're saying is 100% correct. I, I really do. And, you know, the irritability or the that you talked about, this is a super important one that mothers need to know. I have a contemporary who's 20 years, no sugar, flour. She has, you know, groups like me. She, she does this for a living as well. And she is still, one of her daughters, a doctor, she is still working through problems that she had about raging um, when she was on sugar. And when she woke up at her 14th or 15th day with no sugar, she thought to herself, I haven't yelled at my kids in 15 days. Wow. You know, it's like this irritability, this rage um, is very real in this roller coaster that is, you know, have it, don't have it, have it, don't have it kind of thing. And no one, and a lot of the things we've spoken about today, no one is putting two and two together. No one is like, like you just did it very artfully. And your experience is showing that you're starting to realize that there is another reason. Yeah. All of the reasons that have been given are just BS. You know what I mean? It's like, this is a, a product that is so, you know, doctors don't think about it. Nobody thinks about it. It's not a problem. You know, doctors, are, they're overweight themselves, you know. Uh, they're not understanding it. And this idea, and you guys have experienced this, where uh, people in the medical and health fields um, in alcohol addiction, they, you know, they don't want to admit it. They don't want to talk about it. The denial is real there, too. And so now extrapolate that into something as ubiquitous as sugar and they're just teaching them is is very difficult really difficult you know they're just not on board they're not doing research studies about it they're not doing anything about it because they don't it doesn't it's not computing in their brain yet you know what i mean they, it also they just, doesn't pay does it it doesn't pay to be sugar free because a lot of our ups you know to processed products or whatever they're called they they cost a lot of money don't they they make a lot of money well, I mean, the real radicals um, who are MDs, uh, who run practices, who, um, you know, I can turn you on them on Twitter and stuff, is they, you know, they stopped doing bariatric surgery. They stopped doing heart surgery. They stopped doing things um, that they know that sugar is causing it. And they've gone to the way of prevention to teach people how to how to change these all the things we've mentioned from rheumatoid arthritis to whatever whatever uh definitely metabolic syndrome and and type 2 diabetes you know i've had so many hundreds of uh type 2 remissions that now i don't believe anymore that it's an incurable disease it's just not you know it's a yeah. it's it's a diet driven um sugar ultra processed carb driven disease that when you quit it quit those products you no longer have the disease your your a1c falls to normal um you know your your normal you know you, you have normal numbers in your testing and that you didn't change any you didn't have a metformin deficiency of any kind you know you didn't have a deficiency in 
And so medicine, they wanted to give you, you just changed your diet and you now no longer have the disease, you know? So that, that's been encouraging, you know, for myself and, and a lot of the people we've interviewed on the summits yeah. as well. We, we've literally taken up so much of your time. And I honestly, I could go on and I could still talk to you for longer, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to sort of ask you now, because I think there's going to be a heck of a lot of people interested in where to find you. So yeah. can we just, um, you know, can you let us know some of the links that people can find you on? Yeah. The main site is sugaraddiction.com. And, uh, you just go there. The book that I talked about on Amazon is uh, uh, we brought it home. We give it away for free now. Um, you can read the book. You can. It's free on the site. There's a little quiz there. <laughs> it's like that alcohol quiz. You probably don't need to take. If you listen <laughs> to the podcast and you go to sugaraddiction.com, you likely don't need to take the quiz. Just grab it. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm out there on social media as the sugar-free man everywhere. So it's like, you, you just got to type sugar-free man. And there, you know, there's actually a site up at sugar-free man. You could, you could get the book there too. So I'm easy to find. And you're on Instagram as well, Mike. I'm going to find you right now. I've got you. So yeah. Sugar, you know, it'll come up lots of stuff, you know. Mike, before you go, we do, I'm not sure how relevant this question is, but you're going to get it anyway. We have a, um, we have a question which is about our motto. So our motto is be brave, be kind, be sober. Which one of those do you most relate to right now and why? Be brave, be kind, be sober. I think it's brave because I'm in the 99th percent of introverts, INFJ, and this getting out on social media, this getting the message out, even getting on podcast is difficult for me. A lot of my contemporaries in the diet space are doing damage, I believe, in some of their messaging. Um, and But they're gigantic, millions and millions of followers on social media. And I think that they're doing um, a disservice to the public and they're not kind of filling in the gaps. And so I've got to be a little bit braver. I've got to get out there and keep this message alive or keep growing this message. And our summits, and another way you can reach us is quitsugarsummit.com. Just drop your email um, and we'll notify. We just had one, so we probably won't have one for a while, but we have them once a year in January. But you know, brave, being brave, I think, in all of this that we've discussed, you've got to be a little different than your contemporaries, whether it's alcohol or sugar, you've got to take a little courage uh, and, and change. You've got to kind of stare down the barrel and do it, you know. So, and I like kind too. I think 30 days of sugar-free is incoming from both of us, isn't it, Lisa? Yeah. Yeah, we're doing some stuff where, you know, we have a, a way to have your own little community, your own little, your own coach, you know, and, you know, maybe I know you guys are nonprofit to make a little money for the coffers. We can show you how to do that. So if that's something of interest, you know, please. Yeah. Read, Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. So, you know what I feel like? And I didn't think I'd feel like this after this conversation, but I feel like I want to give you a really big hug after that. <laughs> Honestly, and I don't know where that's come from, but you've made me feel 
really emotional. <laughs> well, look, I mean, honestly, and let's 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 be real. This this is an emotional topic, and it is. You know, we didn't delve into it as much. We did. We tried to. We stayed on brain science, but the recovery is in a recovery of a way to deal with your emotions. You know what I mean? It, it truly is. It's like you're you're finding out that you know you have stunted your emotional development via sugar, and you know back to that saying that I hate. You're gonna feel the depths of your feelings when you let go of it, and uh. that's my world it's a good thing you know what i mean i believe and i know you'd believe it too but yeah. about it is harder you know yeah oh thank you so That's much honestly i've really really, really enjoyed, enjoyed that this. your openness and your uh, transparency makes this easier i think for the listener um and, and some of those podcasts that i've been on that are all diet and health related they're not going there with me. You know, they're not, they're not open to this. I can yeah. tell you. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. We really do appreciate your support. So to stay updated with our latest episodes, be sure to follow or subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to share the Be Sober Love with your friends, helping us reach even more people. If you're interested in learning more about the impactful work we do or you want to become part of our incredible Be Sober community, visit our website at besoberofficial.com. There you'll find all the information you need and discover how you can get involved. We look forward to welcoming you into our community of changemakers. Until next time, be brave, be kind and be sober. sober.